What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibson, and I am the host and founder of SIDcast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information athletic communications profession. Uh, today's guest has actually been a trooper, guys. He's been sticking with us, rescheduling, and during the brutal schedule that he had to deal with in the fall. But I'm finally happy to have Tim Tessalone on of USC on the pod today. Um, he was actually a recently named USC Hall of Famer with the likes of Troy Palomalo and others. We're going to give you an in-depth look at the Trojans on game day, Tim's time at USC from his first season in 1979, the ever-changing landscape of media, and more. I make uh, the joke to my friends and family that my favorite reason for anyone has ever had to reschedule with me uh, is because of Tim, and he had to go do his job at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas uh, and uh, couldn't join us in December like we originally had planned. But nonetheless, he's here, and we're happy to have him on. A few housekeeping things real quick before we jump in today. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at Sports InfoCast on both Twitter and Facebook, and you can email me anytime sportsinfocast at gmail.com. We will start off today, guys, of episode 62 of SIDcast with Tim Tussalone of USC about how he found out on being named the University of Southern California's Athletic Hall of Fame right here on SIDcast. Uh, it's kind of a funny... Uh way I found out, uh, first of all, very humbling uh, honor. Uh, not quite sure I fit with all the, the great Trojans that are in that uh, in our Hall of Fame, including uh, some of the people in this year's class, like a Troy Polamalu and, and folks like that. Um, but we were actually up in our athletic director's uh, office, Lynn Swan, a, a small group of us, uh, going over the uh, plans for the hall. Uh, we had conducted the voting um, for the hall in the various sports categories, and um, we got to the category which we have somebody we put in for the media category uh, related to media, and uh, Lynn kind of turned to me and said, "You're going to be it," and I kind of said, "No, I'm not." And he said, "Yes, you are." So that was um, that's kind of how I was surprised to find out about it. Very, uh, very humbling and very. Uh, uh, gracious on Lynn and uh, Ron Orr and Steve Lopes, Jen Noriega, the people that were uh, involved there. It uh, uh, really means a lot. So uh, I, I want to know, kind of, let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you get involved in U? Because you're an alumni of USC, correct? Yes, uh, I was. I uh, went to school here at USC. Uh, I was a start off as a journalism major. Wanted to be a sports writer. Uh, kind of went down that path for a few years and uh, actually had a, a, somebody come, a, a sports writer come speak to our class one time and uh, he said something about uh, how young sports writers just become old sports writers and I go, well, that doesn't sound like it has a great upside maybe, so <laughs> explore other areas where I could stay involved in the world of sports and um, still be kind of involved in the, the media communications area. I was I took a... Um, introductory public relations class here at uh, USC's uh, great Annenberg uh, School of Communications and um, really got turned on by that PR class and some subsequent classes with some professors that I had, Bill Faith. Uh, So uh, one of the things I did when uh, I was uh, my senior year uh, was I poked my head into the uh, sports info office here and said, hey, do you need any 
any interns, any help, and uh, they took me right away. I uh, gave me a lot of responsibilities right away, and um, uh, when I graduated uh, in 1979, I'm sorry, 1977, um, they actually were going to expand the office from a two, a three-person office and, and add a position, and uh, they offered it to me, and I uh, uh, thought about it and kind of said, hey, you know what, I uh, want to get out in the real world and wear a coat and tie every day and see what that life is like, so I turned it down. Um, and uh, went to work in, in L.A. at a, a big PR agency. Uh, actually didn't have anything. I turned it down. I didn't have anything set up. I, I laid on the beach for a couple months, and my one of my PR professors called me and said there was a PR agency in town looking for a junior account exec, and um, I went over there, interviewed, and got the position. Really didn't know anything about agency PR and what that world was like, but uh, jumped into it. Uh, we had some uh, some you know uh, mundane accounts like paint companies and financial firms and restaurants, and then we had some really fun, cool accounts like the uh, Motion Picture Academy and the Oscars, uh, Passing and Turn of the Roses and the Rose the, the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl football game. Uh, and during that time, those, I spent two years there. During that time, I really kind of found that my heart. Uh, you know, it really was in the world of sports is where where I felt most uh, passion, I think. And the position that I turned down at USC in 77 reopened up in 79, 1979. And um, I went and applied for it, and they hired me and uh, was an assistant for the first five years to Jim Perry. And then when he left, uh, I was fortunate enough to take over for him in 1984 at been here ever since and uh as i tell people i'm you know too dumb to do anything else but uh, love doing this so uh you mentioned that they gave you a lot of responsibilities when you first started out what were those yep. uh they, they made me a point person on some sports like baseball and and uh, um swimming and i helped out in basketball and i helped out in football and um you know, it was a much smaller operation then. It was a much different operation back then. The media was different. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, 24-7 like it is now. Um, you know, we had our beat writers, and, and there wasn't all this Internet stuff, and, and there wasn't, uh, you know, the, the numbers like they are now and, and the pervasiveness of it. Um, but, you know, for a, a senior who was trying to you know get some experience it was it was a great opportunity and i wrote you know i started there and within weeks i was writing media guides and press releases and all that sort of thing so it was pretty cool uh at one point did you take over responsibility for football um well when i became the sid in 84 but when i was the assistant uh jim perry our, our sid uh I went on all the football trips uh, and kind of ran the press box because he was our color announcer for radio. So during football games, he was, you know, up in the radio booth. So I was kind of the, um, you know, uh, his fill-in in a sense uh, in, in all the press boxes and uh, worked out well. Uh, again, another great opportunity for me and uh, enjoyed doing it. Um, learned a lot and, um, you know, we had we had some pretty good teams back then. '79, uh, my first year, Charlie White won the Heisman in '81. Um, yeah, Mark Allen won the Heisman, and uh, you know, we had some um, really 
you know, iconic type of players and coaches and, and uh, some really good uh, good teams. Uh, you mentioned a little bit, uh, specifically with the Internet and 24-7 availability, that you've, you've noticed some differences uh, since you, when you started to now. Can you detail some of those a little bit more? Um, yeah, you know, everybody's a journalist now. Um, you know, anybody with a cell phone camera or, or uh, access to the Internet can post anything, say anything. And a lot of times, uh, r- rightly or wrongly, those type of things get legs, and then we end up having to, uh, and the, the media ends up having to chase that kind of information down um, and determine whether it's true or not, whether, uh, you know, it's, it's telling a, a fair, accurate uh, story or not, and, uh, and we have to kind of react accordingly. And, um, um, you know, I think the accountability, uh, not so much of the, the what I guess you can call mainstream media, but uh, uh, all the peripheral media um, is not as um, strong as it had been in the past when when I first started. Um, you know, you had to have multiple sources and check your facts and double check your facts and all that sort of thing. Now it's as everybody knows, it's you know the race to be first, and and if you have to correct after you post or after you report then you do that, and that would never have flown back in the day. I know I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but uh, we just I just had this conversation uh, with two different people. Uh, one, a sports writer just got laid off uh, yesterday uh, at a big local chain here, and then I, with Lynn Swan, our athletic director, this morning, I just had this conversation, and you know, he was in the media world. He was a journalism major here at USC, or public relations major, actually, and, um, and then worked in, in broadcasting for years, and we were talking just about that very topic, what has, you know, could you imagine back then how the media is now? How has your role changed um, throughout the years with being the primary contact for a, a major football power like USC? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the duties are very, you know, similar. We're, we're there to kind of serve as a liaison between our, our team, our players, our coaches, and, and the media that cover us. Um, but, um, you know, I think there's just a lot more things we have to do um, uh, daily. Um, the Internet obviously has changed all that. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the other things is we've become kind of our own um, news source, if you will, news uh, distributor. Um, and we have a lot of different platforms that we use to distribute that news. And, and uh, we have a lot of different people now in place here to help with that, whether it's uh, social media people, whether it's video people, whether it's designers, whether it's uh, website people, all that sort of thing. And uh, uh, we have to tell our story, uh, you know, in a lot of different ways, craft a story. You know, one story has to be crafted in a lot of different ways. And uh, so that's takes some um, planning. It takes some uh, creativity. It takes some manpower. It takes some hours. So. Uh my, one of the, I think my favorite thing, Tim, I want you to know this ever, is when someone has to reschedule with me. I was saying, hey, I have to go to the Cotton Bowl. I, I can't be there for our interview. <laughs> and it made me laugh a little bit. So can you tell us uh, what's it like, uh, for those that don't know listening to this show, you know, going on the road, what kind of duties do you have when you have that sort of big stage, not only Cotton Bowl, but even national championships in, in the past? Um. 
you know, the the people that run those kind of bowls, whether they're big or small, they do a great job of really making your life very easy. And the cotton bowl, uh, I will tell you, um, Charlie and, uh, and all the folks there that we've had the great pleasure of working with um, last month uh, are, you know, pros, pros, and um, they uh, have it down to a science, uh, the hospitality and the organization and the, um, you know, the media uh, relationships that they have are great. So when you go down there, it's actually a lot, in one sort of sense, it's a lot easier than having a home game because uh, it's all formatted out and it's just you kind of scheduling things to fit their format of, okay, you're going to have uh, open practice, you know, for 20 minutes on this day, and you're going to have um, your offensive coordinator and five offensive players coming to the media hotel at this time on this day, and so on and so forth. So it's it's uh, fairly painless, and again, a lot of that is thrown back on the great job that all the bowl people do, whether it's the Cotton Bowl or the Rose Bowl or, you know, all the different bowls we've been to. And what's been your favorite so far in your tenure? Favorite bowl? Yeah, sure. Um, well, again, yeah, you're not going to beat what we just went through at the Cotton Bowl as far as hospitality. Um, but for those of us here at USC, um, you know, we love the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, it's down the street from us. It's kind of our home away from home. We've had an incredible heritage and, and history there. Um, so if, you know, USC could go to the Rose Bowl every year, you know, I think we would do that. Um, but uh, that said, um, it's really fun to visit other bowls, whether it's the Holiday Bowl down in San Diego that we've been at a few times or, um, you know, the Cotton Bowl this year or, or whatever and, and get a flavor and, and meet those people and have those opportunities. Uh, again, I, 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 you have to realize that People that work at bowls work their butts off all year long for one game, you know, for one day. And, and to make the experience primarily for the student-athletes, but also for the staff and the fans and whatever, uh, paramount. And uh, I, I can't tell you one that hasn't done that, you know. I mean, the people at the down in El Paso uh, at the Sun Bowl are just great people. We've been down there. The people... Uh, at Vegas, uh, where we played in the Vegas Bowl, has been great. So, um, Orange Bowl back in the day, you know, gosh, those are great memories, great fun times. Uh, I have a question about football operations as it pertains to kind of your your kind of like liaison duties, I guess is what I'm getting at there. So, what's it like for those that don't know, and I'm sure that there are some people that don't know, uh, what does game day look like for you? Uh yeah, game day, I always tell my friends, you know, um, people who say they want to get in this business is that, you know, we, first of all, this is not a nine to five job. Um, it's a, you know, it's a eight in the morning until nine at night or something, usually during football season job. But we're also working when all of our friends aren't working. And that's because the events, you know, the, the football games or, or whatever events are that are going on are being held at what? Weekends, nights, holidays. So people who want to get in this profession have to understand that they're working, you know, they're going to be working when all their buddies aren't. Um, 
but you know, a typical Saturday game day for us is uh, it's a long day. We're I'm usually in the press box about uh, four hours before kickoff, um, setting things up and you know making sure everything's kind of checked on the checklist of things that have to be done, getting ready for the media to show up. Uh, um, the, the broadcast teams, uh, you know, all the production stuff that needs to be done, uh, meeting our team when they get there, going over last-minute uh, items with the coach, lineup stuff, um, prepping them on things that are going to be happening uh, you know, media-wise during the game from a TV and radio standpoint, uh, getting the game kind of kicked off up in the uh, upstairs with our stat crew and. Um, all the others that, that are involved in, in putting a football game on, kind of monitoring the game as, as it goes on, going down afterwards in the, the uh, post-game uh, uh, interviews sessions and, and coordinating all that, running back up to the press box afterwards, making sure all the, the, uh, the stats and notes and quotes and all that are done and distributed, and then just making sure the media has everything they, they need to get their stories filed and, and finished. And, uh, you know, so that's you know, four hours before the game. What's the game usually goes about four hours and a couple hours after the game. So that's that's your typical game day at, at home. Um, and that's, you know, I'm sure I've left about 150 things out. Um, yeah. So uh, a quick question about men's volleyball. At what point did you guys adopt men's volleyball? And how did you get the responsibility for that? Um, men's volley at USC became a scholarship sport in 1977. Um, and when I was a student here, uh, I had some friends who played and, um, uh, would always go watch, uh, you know, in California back in the day. Now, you know, that was a, a sport. I grew up uh, on the beach and played the sport, um, still play it every Sunday morning for a couple hours and, um, you know, so, so I was just interested in the sport and it was an easy kind of thing for me to do in the spring, uh, as the off, um, sport for, uh, for football, uh, when I was an assistant, um, you know, besides football, I was the basketball contact. So I, back then you did a fewer people. I had a lot of different sports that I would do, but I always did men's volley and, um, uh, the tradition here has been very successful and, the sport has grown rapidly now it's not only a national sport but international and um you know usc has had not only great men's teams but uh, great women's indoor teams and we've won the last couple uh national championships in our, with our women's beach program so uh, you're kind of familiar with it and like you just mentioned that that's a huge growing sport so maybe uh there are some people out there that don't have that sort of sport maybe something, a sport that's emerging that has that status to it. Uh, so how would you suggest somebody who's getting a sport like that that's maybe kind of off the beaten path to kind of learn that new sport and, and try and perform their job to the best of their abilities? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the, the first and foremost thing you have to do is you have to speak the language. Um, so if you're doing volleyball, you better know what the difference between, a, you know, a a set and a match is what's a spike what's an ace what's a dig that, that kind of stuff uh i know how to how to figure all that out and do stats on it so it's just a matter of uh you know people 
people can figure that stuff out, but you just have to speak the lingo and speak the language. And, um, I think it's, you know, important to be, uh, uh, you know, connected in, in the sport and know a lot of people in it, know a lot of the, each sport has its own kind of niche media, niche media people that, um, know uh, are targeted just for that sport whether it's uh, all the volleyball media or um, the track and field media whatever it is so really get uh, ingrained into all those people get to know them uh, reach out and uh, make connections when, when I uh, my first job when, before I started at SC when I was at that PR agency uh, my boss um, told me uh, he said I, I want you every day to pick up the phone and call somebody in the media that you don't know and introduce yourself and get to know them a little bit. I thought that was kind of awkward or weird or whatever. It's like I'm just kind of cold calling people and getting saying hello type of deal. And uh, I was a little hesitant to do it. So, you know, I did it, but it was not my favorite thing. But now I understand why, because so much of what we do in this business isn't what we know, but it's who we know. Uh, and so we can call up, pick up the phone and call somebody at, um, you know, for football, I can call up Chris Fowler or Kirk Herbstreet or, you know, somebody, uh, you know, Dennis Dodd or whoever it is. And, and one, they'll take your call and two, they'll listen to what you have to say. You know, you might be pitching them a story. You might be arguing with them about a, uh, something that they reported. You might be just, uh, you know, uh, crossing paths a little bit with them. Um, you know, same thing in, in volleyball is, you know, know, know all the different uh, media outlets and who the key players are in the media there. So um, when you have something you want to get done media-wise, it makes it a lot easier. So uh, to me, that's the, that's the you know, besides speaking the lingo, it's, it's getting to know the players, the media players. Uh, I have a, qu- a few questions based off what you said, but one thing I, I want to know because I'm geeking out about it right now is what is Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet like in person? <laughs> oh, they're great guys. I've known them a long time. I think uh, I think Herbie was a quarterback for Ohio State playing the Trojans way back in the day when when I, I first heard his name. So that's how long I've been around. But um, yeah, they're really good. They they're very professional. They uh, do their homework. Uh, you know, they work their butts off and, uh, sometimes I myself some free SPN, but, of um, kind of fostering and promoting college football and telling all the stories in college football. So, uh, kudos to them and, and all the people around them and, and others in that business that do it, not only, not only at ESPN, but all the different networks. Uh, you mentioned that when when you were at that agency that you had to call cold call basically. How did you? How does that translate to what you do now in the beginning stages of your career? Well, uh, like I was saying, I mean, I think it's just it's you know I can know how to uh, do a, a story on our website. You know, input a story on our website, right? I I can know how to design a media guide on it and use Photoshop and InDesign. And I can know how to use stack crew or what have you, but that kind of stuff pales in importance to the connections, the, the relationships, the personal human touches that you have with people in this business. And quite frankly, 
you know, I've been doing this since, you know, the 70s. Back in the day, that's what it was all about. It was, you'd go to dinner with the media, you'd hang out with them. They were, uh, they, you know, there was a, a symbiotic relationship going on. Now it's way different. You know, it's a much more distant, um, more adversarial in a sense, uh, relationships. Um, but when you get down to the bottom of the day, you still have to uh, be able to, you still need to pick up the phone and talk to those people, still need to walk down the hall and, you know, go into the media workroom and, and spend time with them and uh, do all those sort of things. Um, so that's what that, you know, uh, lesson that my boss back there at the agency, uh, that, that's where what he was trying to teach me is get to know people because that's how you'll be successful in this business. Um not everybody gets to do this, but they do have some sort of big award. And and I know that uh, the Heisman, USC, no stranger to the Heisman. So how have you kind of had to, I, I'm, let me think about what I'm trying to say here, kind of facilitate this, like sell this guy to the media, basically. Sell this guy to the country. Um, how do you push that and, and how do you cover a Heisman campaign like that? Well, it's changed dramatically. Um, you know, I first started back in the day um, when, you know, we had Charlie White and uh, Marcus Allen. Um, you know, our, our objective really at that point was to change their names um, in the off season prior to their, their Heisman candidacy season. Try to change their name from Charles White to Charles White, Heisman Trophy candidate and get everybody to uh, be aware of that and to do a lot of uh, stories, uh, everything pretty much back then was done print-wise. Um, you know, so people going into the year knew this guy was legit. And then as the season went on, um, you would do um, you know, some follow-up stuff. And, and um, you know, really, at that point, Heisman seemed to be based on the body of work that a player would produce during a year. Um, that all changed, at least for me, in Carson Palmer's senior year, um, 2002. Uh, if you remember, you might not, but going into his senior year, Carson Palmer um, was not even on the cover of our media guide. Now, that would be a cardinal sin, you know, for uh, somebody trying to promote a Heisman guy is not to put him on the cover of your media guide and list him as a Heisman candidate, right? All right. Uh, but he had thrown, I think, as many interceptions as he had touchdowns in his career at that point. And we had Troy Polamalu on the cover of the media guide. Um, but as that season went on, um, you know, about mid-late October, Carson was having a pretty good year. Our team was having a pretty good year. We all looked at each other and said, you know, this guy needs to be in the discussion, uh, at least to be in the discussion of the Heisman stuff going on. And so uh, we kind of did this old-fashioned kind of campaign, if you will. Um, and we started, like, uh, we started sending out some flyers, and then we designed these little Carson, we call it the Carson Show ticket, kind of after the Johnny Carson Show, which had recently gone off the air, but people still remember what it was, and designed it like a, a uh, movie, a TV uh, premiere uh, ticket invite. Uh, with pictures on one side and stats and stuff, and we mailed it everywhere. And we sent that 
they sent it out, and this might have been late October, early November, and, uh, you know, thought that it would generate some buzz. And one of the first things that it generated was a story in the L.A. Times, a column by Bill Plasky in the L.A. Times, that um, said, hey, SC's got the bandwagon going for Carson Palmer, uh, promoting him for the Heisman, but hey, sorry, SC, it's not going to happen. Uh, the Heisman is a East Coast-based award now. Uh, nobody uh, has won the Heisman on the West Coast since Marcus Allen in, in 81. Uh, good luck, but it's not going to happen. You have no chance. And that's from our hometown newspaper, you know, and, <laughs> and from a, 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 a columnist who had – what we did is we took that um, column, and this was kind of back in the early days of – uh, emails and all that sort of thing, and we, we pasted that column into an email, and we uh, put in the subject line just uh, H-M-M-M-M-M-M, question mark, like, hmm, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we sent it to uh, our blast email list, our college football blast email list, which had lots of people all throughout the country, and uh, sent it right off to them. And what we were trying to do is create a dialogue, and we, we it instantly, as soon as we sent it, uh, within minutes, we started getting responses back from the media. Some of them said, yeah, Plasky's right. Nothing not can happen. But a lot of people said, nah, Plasky's full of it. Your guy's got a, you know, a great chance, and um, you know, he should be considered and all that sort of thing. And so that really, I think, uh, of anything that... Uh, at that stage of Carson's candidacy, really kind of created a little bit of a, again, a dialogue, a conversation, and, and brought him, I think, to the forefront. And then what we started to do is um, really attack from the top down, attack the opinion shapers in college football, the Fowlers and Herb Streets that we talked about, and the, 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 the Ivan Mazels and uh, Dennis Dodds, and um, all those type of guys to just say, hey, when you're writing about the Heisman, I think you got to consider Carson. Here's why. And again, because of the relationships that we had built up, one, they took the call. Two, they listened to us. And, and you know, it was up to them whether they agreed or not, but at least they, they listened to our, our argument. And um, then um, the, the biggest lesson that we learned in this, not to be long-winded here, but um, is that the Heisman now, and really around when Carson won it, has not become based on someone's body of work. It's become a, a of the moment award in, in a lot of ways. It's what have you done for us recently? Um, and you see it all the time. Um, you know, Quan Barkley was going to win the thing if, if this year if, if the uh, Heisman ended in in October, but it didn't, and, and somebody else, you know, uh, Baker passed him by. But um, what we saw is. Carson and our team got extremely hot at the end of the year. He had a couple signature games at the end of that year against Notre Dame and, and UCLA, some signature plays, a somersault into the end zone and all that. And then the voting ended, I mean, just right for us because if it, the voting had ended a week earlier, Brad Banks of Iowa would have won it. The voting had ended a week later, uh, Larry Johnson of Penn State might have won it. Um, so the moon and the stars kind of broke in the right way for us with Carson. Um, so that's a long-winded story. The others that we've had since then, you know, Matt and Reggie and 
Um, you know, we had three and four years there. Um, you know, we had some great teams, and those guys were dominant athletes who kind of went wire to wire, I think. Uh, obviously, Vince Young was in the, uh, the mix with those guys, but um, uh, th- those were a little, I don't want to say easier, but uh, a little more defined. Uh, I'd like to transition this part of the interview where I like to ask some fun questions. Um, Tim, first one I have for you is, uh, what's your favorite memory or memories in your professional tenure? Um, you know, we've had tons and tons of really cool moments at USC um, in terms of wins and championships and gold medalists and all that sort of thing. Um, but it's always the, the, the little moment that nobody ever sees, and it usually is with the the, uh, the athlete that nobody really knows. And I always, I mean, there's been a ton of cool stuff this, this year with Jake Olson, the blind snapper. You know, I mean, who mm-hmm. uh, we we've known since he was a little kid before when he when he could see, and but when he had eyes, and uh, you know, he kind of grew up through our program, and now is on our team, uh, doing amazing things. He just put out a video yesterday with uh, him throwing passes. You know, saying he wants to be our next quarterback, which, you know, is tongue-in-cheek. Um, but I always think back, in like, I think it was 79, we had a backup tailback named Michael Hayes. I tell him this story all the time. So I used to joke with him and call him Superman. Um, but he was the backup to Charles White, the Heisman winner. And, you know, so Charlie never came off the field. So Michael never really got any chances. But late in the season, we were playing UCLA in the Coliseum and beating them and Late in the game, he got a handoff at, I don't know, a 20-yard line or something and took the ball into the end zone, did a somersault or backflip in and all that. And to me, that was like the coolest moment because it was not a big moment in a big game, but it was like that made Michael's life, career. You know, that was such a cool thing to happen for a guy that, you know, struggled to just get on the field. And it's those kind of moments. That's kind of symbolic, I guess, of, or symbolic of, of the um, uh, moments that uh, happen every day that nobody really sees, writes about, knows about. But for those of us that are kind of, you know, on, uh, on this side of it, you get to experience that with those kids. And that's to me when you say favorite memories. Uh, what about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story? Uh, horror stories, uh, God, we've had a lot of crummy things happen here too, you know, with NCAA probations and coaches firings and, you know, we've had a lot of stuff in recent years, uh, but, um, uh, you know, I think any time we had an athlete pass, pass away, that was not fun and just very sad and tragic, um, we had a, uh, a weird deal years ago where uh, there was a, a car chase uh, off campus and some some kids had a gun, shot the, the gun up in the air, ended up traveling, you know, I don't know, a quarter mile, this bullet did, and uh, landed on, on a player on our football field during practice, and uh, that was uh, just a mess. Um so it's those sort of things, I think, that probably, uh, you know, and, and, and there's other things where we mess up. You know, we're not perfect, and we mess up and feel really bad about it. And, 
and uh, have to try to clean up our mess, but um, work real hard at not having that happen. So those are probably some of them. Yeah, let's just hope that uh, people don't really necessarily, unfortunately they happen, but let's just hope that somebody never has to deal with a player dying or, or anything bizarre like what you guys had. So um, next question I have for you is, what's one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Um, one, I think they have to be really good communicators, including um, writing well, uh, knowing how to write, not English 101, but uh, uh, journalism 101 more so. Uh, you have to write like your audience, the media um, uh, writes. Uh, again, I said it earlier, you have to speak the lingo. Um, I think it is uh, networking is really important, getting to know people. Uh, it's a, this is a relationship-based business. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's those things. And I think, you know, you have to have a passion for this and realize that you're going to work a lot of hours uh, for not a lot of money. Um, you're going to be able to uh, get a lot of great adrenaline rushes riding the, the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows of, of your teams. Um, but you have to be the one that stays there right in the middle and not get too high or too low um, and kind of stay steady through it all, um, have some perspective on things. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you just have to realize that, that everybody wants this job, but once you get inside, you know, you realize that this is, it's, this is a lot of work, you know. Yeah. You're going to bust your butt, and um, you have to have very understanding uh, families, spouses, and kids. Um, but on the other side of it, you have to realize that you have to you, uh, to kind of pres preserve your own sanity. Um, I think you have to be able to do things like uh, find time for your family and for your wife and your spouse. Um Go coach your kids in Little League. Break away in the spring for a couple hours. Go play beach volleyball on Sunday mornings, even if you get back at 4 a.m. on a road trip. You know, get out there at 8 a.m. and stand play. Do those sort of things. Go for a run a couple times a week. All, you know, those are things that give you a mental health break. Uh, what makes a good SID? And, what, and I mean, you can just look around the division, country, what, whatever you want with that. Uh, I think uh, credibility is paramount um that you know you've got to you have to realize that you straddle a fine line that you in a sense serve two masters the media on one side and, and your organization on the other now obviously your organization is the one who's paying you so you're you are um there to you know put that organization in the best light possible but you also have to realize what the media's needs are, what the media's uh, uh, kind of tone and uh, climate is, and uh, you know you can't can't lie. You have to, you know, that'll kill your reputation and credibility right away. Um, but there's going to be a lot. You're going to be put in a lot of difficult positions, uh, and you have to represent your side, uh, you know, as strong as possible. But you also have to understand the media side and represent that side in some ways to your organization and try to kind of um, come to a mutual agreement. Um, you know, sometimes what 
your organization wants to say might not be the best thing. Um, it, you know, maybe a coach wants to say something this way or an athletic director, and you have to kind of be strong enough to present the devil's advocate side to, to those sort of things. Uh, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? Um, I think just all the, uh, what's the next kind of out of the box way to, uh, tell our story. Um, you know, I think we did that kind of this year. We had fun with doing this, uh, season of Sam podcast with Sam Darnold. Um, uh, you know, we, I, I don't think many, if anybody was really doing that with their, their, uh, star players. Um, and we got a lot of great, uh, comments about it. Uh, there was a lot of work, but it was, you know, it was kind of a, uh, a look at our football team through Sam's eyes one, but also it was a, um, a kind of a classroom for Sam to, uh, learn a lot of things about uh, the world of sports and sports performance and all that. He had everybody from uh, Justin Turner, the Dodgers, to Michael Gervais, the great sports psychologist, to Will Ferrell, to um, you know Clay Helton, to uh, Carson Palmer's brother Jordan, who trains quarterbacks. To, you know all sorts of different guests on each week, and he would he with the host Yogi Roth you know, would come up with the questions and interview these guys and try to um, learn, you know, techniques and tips through their eyes on how he could be a better player, better quarterback, better person, all that sort of thing. So uh, we had fun with that. So what's the next thing out there? What's the next podcast vehicle that we can use to tell our story? That's that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. Uh, work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? Um... Yeah, I like I said, uh, I get my three four hours on Sunday mornings playing beach volley. Uh, I've been doing that for thirty forty years now, and um, uh, it's my sanity time. Um, and um, do a little running, spend time with whatever time I can with wife. Kids are all grown, but uh, whenever they're around, uh, love spending time with them. But um, you know what the I'm very fortunate this place that I work at, at USC, um, we talk about Trojan family and everybody from on the outside thinks that's a hokey concept, but if you're inside here and live it, uh, this really is a family atmosphere. It's, uh, the people here are, are phenomenal. They are like my brothers and sisters. And so being here, um, around all of them, my coworkers in the sports info office and, and everybody else in athletics and throughout the university, um, those are, you know, they keep you balanced. Uh, next time someone's in L.A., what's your restaurant recommendation? <laughs> oh, man, there's a lot of them. That's, yeah, I had to think about that. L.A.'s got a ton of them. If, if you want Mexican, uh, El Cholo is a, my favorite Mexican place. Um, there's a couple of them in L.A., but the one, the original one on uh, near USC on, on um, Western uh, is phenomenal. Um, it's always crowded, but it's, it's worth it. It's, uh, uh, you gotta get the, uh, the margaritas and the, um, uh, you can make a meal out of the margaritas and the, uh, the nachos, the Carmen's nachos, they're called Carmen's daughter actually works upstairs here, uh, as our receptionist, uh, Carmen's passed away now, but she invented these, the 
nachos with the cheese and the jalapenos on them, and they are to die for. Um, gosh, what else is there's all sorts of stuff. Depends just really where you want to go, but um, uh, there's a place in, in Hermosa Beach that we love, and it's run by some SC people called Barons, and it is phenomenal food. Uh, if anybody had any questions for you, maybe they wanted to follow up with you, get in contact with you after this interview, what would be the best way to do it? Yeah, just shoot me an email. Uh, it's just my last name without the E at the end, T-E-S-S-A-L-O-N at USC dot E-D-U. Uh, I'm happy to chat or brainstorm. I, I mean, I really think it's incumbent upon uh, those of us in this business, especially those who have been around for a while, to um, you know share insights and help mentor and, and move the, the needle forward. Um, you know, it's a really cool profession. I've been blessed to be in it. Um, the people from east to west, north to south, are um, you, know, you won't find more dedicated people in an athletic department, more hardworking people. Um, the talent level, the you know, I, I am. Um, I, I, what we do at this level, at the you know the bigger school, we have our challenges certainly, and and the. Uh, you know the scope of things is 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 uh, the large stage is is pretty big. stuff they might be the golf coach, uh, or they might be the um, you know the the marketing director also, or the radio broadcaster. Those are the people I think uh, in this profession that um, really deserve the gold stars. Uh, real quick, Tim, what's your Super Bowl pick? Um, there's a Trojan playing for the Eagles, uh, Nelson Aguilar, uh, nobody on the uh, Patriots, so um, we're pulling for Nelly. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you very much for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, really cool concept that you're doing. Good luck with it. Keep it going. Thank you. Guys, there you have it. I was extremely humbled and honored to actually speak with somebody like Tim Tesla who's been around for as long as he has. Uh, next week, we will be back at it with Denny Driscoll from the University of the Southwest. I think that yeah, that's in New Mexico, I believe, uh, for episode 63. And just a quick reminder before I let you guys go to leave us a rating and review and to follow us on social media at SportsInfoCast. I hope you all are doing great. I hope that basketball and winter season is going to treat you great. And uh, don't even think about baseball or softball or anything coming up. Uh, like we are and we're getting prepared I believe at the time of this recording next week softball will actually be on their way uh, down to Huntsville Alabama to play in the UAH uh, Charger Chillout so guys that's all I have for you this week and we hope to catch you all in the next episode